Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you, as always. And I'm looking forward to talking a few texts today. We are right down at the very end of our uh, liturgical year. Uh... We're down to the nub. We're about at the running at the short hairs here. However, you know it's uh, it's close by. But uh, well, in uh, in my wife's world, yeah, of growing up yeah. down east, they had all the fields were pretty squared off mm-hmm. as flatlands, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so all the rows were the same length, you know, from one end to you know, yeah. and long yeah. rows across the field. Where I grew up in the mountains. To farm, you had to be creative yeah. because it's sides of hills and little valleys, little uh, uh, river val- flats, mm-hmm. meadows, you know. And so you had the long rows and the short rows. Yeah. And you might have cause to get as much as you could on what land was arable. So we were always talking about you do the long rows first, and then yeah. you get down to the short rows. You knew it was almost time to go home to the field That's from it. the field. So you we'll don't get to the short rows. You don't want to leave it with a, a long row to hoe. Uh, no. that's, that's a lot. Don't finish. You want to leave it with the short row. Let's rows, get the short you know? row. Well, we own the short row for these texts <coughs> for the twenty-fifth Sunday after Pentecost. <laughs> Pentecost, these are the texts for November the 19th, 2023. Bob, I'm going to let you run with it. We've got a very fascinating text in this uh, uh, continuous cycle in the Hebrew Scripture with Judges. And uh, as you and I were talking, I've I'm done, a, done a little work on that. So uh, I know you're going to take us through our... Um, complimentary text as always and we're in sort of the middle section of this matthew 25 text so do it to it and we'll uh, we'll see what we got what's on your mind well, well the plan for today as we talked about is to do the complimentary text first and then at the end of the session we're going to dive a little deeply into yeah. what's going on in judges yeah. at the end of as you say the continuous uh semi-continuous Lessons for Pentecost, and after this, until we get past Pentecost Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. it's going to be, you know, one one Hebrew scripture lesson connected to the the uh, gospel lesson. So we're getting to the end of that, semi continuous. And John's going to do some summing up and helpful work there. So complimentary text. Oh, more on the day of the Lord. More negative. Let's just say, as I, I put it, it's difficult to match. The textual tone with the secular calendar tone. Mm. Yes. You know, yes. you've got the day of the Lord in Zephaniah, you got Thessalonians like Thief in the Night in the Gospel, you got this outer darkness gnashing and weeping on the day mm. the, when the mm. Gospel, when the Second Coming. And Psalm, Psalm 90 is all about God's wrath. Mm. And then we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and after mm. that, what we in the liturgical tradition like to say is the Advent season. What the world says, it's Christmas time. Mm-hmm. 
Christmas season, and and they're sitting there going, "What is this?" Yeah. So th- I'm just acknowledging mm-hmm. where the congregation is. Most tough of spot them, to be where, in. Yeah. Where the lectionary is, it's a tough spot. It's difficult to match this, and it's j- even without that, mm-hmm. it's really hard to fl- find the the gospel side <laughs> of the judgment coin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why does all this? negativity matter why why do we need to hear about the angry god mm. the judgmental god and and what are these what seem to be analogies to jesus as a thief <laughs> and a cruel master and a money-grubbing cruel mm. master how do we how do we find god in all of that and I want to lead in with saying that as you carefully read the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, one will find that hope, that grace, that love always have the final word. Indeed. But it's not the only word. Correct. And today is a reminder that it's not the only word, and there is a a difficult side. (laughs) to relationship with God, and we're going to explore that. So, we'll go over here to Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 7, and then 12 through 18. This is a short book. John, you grew up the way I did. There was occasionally in the youth group that they would play uh, sword drill. Sword drill. I don't know who invented that, but the Bible is the sword of the Lord, so they (laughs) had this kind of military image. Present arms, and you hold your Bible up to show that you hadn't opened it yet, and your finger's not holding any places. You got to put your hands flat on the top and flat on the bottom. Flat on top, flat on, present arms, Mm. and then they would announce a text, and you had to find it. And Zephaniah being... In my Bible, my my Bible, about five pages, four, mm-hmm. <laughs> three short chapters, mm-hmm. was a fa- one of the favorites to throw out there to in the minor prophets. See if you could find yeah. it. Took a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Six thirty B.C.E. before the Common Era. Yeah. Um, it was um, kind of a time of somewhat religious indifference, at least according to Zephaniah and other contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And um, a judgment was being pronounced. There was a threat from the north of uh, of uh, military annihilation. Right, right. And the judgment, as you will find over and over again in the Hebrew Scriptures, a kind of sense that God's in control of everything. So if we're about to get wiped out, we must have done something to deserve it. <laughs> uh, so you've got um, chapter 1, as that we have doom coming because of religious syncretism indifference kind of thing right uh also then in chapter two it says that the other nations are doomed as well (laughs) (laughs) don't don't feel special he's going to get everybody and then chapter three you have that ray of hope and grace for those who wait there's a use of the word wait um Verses 12 through 18 in our, is the meat of our text. Verse 1 is just, this is who's talking, and I'm, you know, the intro. It has that kind of, verse 12, the religious cynicism is the issue. It basically says God's not involved in what we do here on earth. Yes. God's not going to do nothing. So then whatever religious attention they're paying is kind of uh, civic duty, but they don't really expect anything to happen right 
from God. Right. You know, he's not going to do bad. He's not going to do good. We're on our own. <laughs> We're just, here. yeah, God's just going to watch while we sort it out and uh, maybe be so around to clean up the mess. But So yeah. in, in this section, that's what they're being condemned for. Mm-hmm. And then verse 13 says, you know, there's no future. You think you're planting. You're buying a house. You're not going to live in it. You're planting a vineyard. You're not going to harvest it. Mm-hmm. And then the the rest of the, our text, 14 through 18, is that, and there's nothing you can do to avoid it. <laughs> nothing. And there's a, an echo in uh, Luther's small catechism of verse 18 he, where he tells, not with silver or gold, you know, yeah. have we been redeemed, but by the blood of Christ. So this says uh, in Zephaniah here, you know, not even silver and gold ain't going to buy yeah. us out of this. We're in trouble. That's because you people are resting complacently on your dregs. What a what an image, yeah. In verse yeah. twelve. Yeah. So if you're preaching this text, don't leave it there. This is the, you know, you can preach the judgment and why they're being judged and you can apply. You know, are we are we just going through the motions and do we not expect God to do anything positive for us or to punish us? Do we think God has created the world and is sitting back to see how it works out? And so but you have to go outside the text to the rest of the book yeah. to find the grace notes in verse two. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, a call to come together, a solemn assembly, and to seek God. Right. And in chapter 3, verses 8 through 14, it outlines a new day of hope. Right. So in order to preach this text accurately, I think, Mm -hmm. you have to Mm -hmm. expand into what the whole story is. What old Paul Harvey used to call the The rest rest of the story. story. So, um... In the Psalm 90 is just kind of an unrelenting description of God's wrath on a faithless people. But, again, after verse 12, verses 13 through 17, is a plea for and an assurance of mercy from God. Again, the rest of the story. So, Moving from that text as we walk through these, you got Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. It's continuing... The question that was raised in last week's lesson in Thessalonians mm-hmm. as to last week was what happens to the dead at the second coming? Yep. You know, this week it's well, when's that going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you reckon that'll be next week, there, Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have any idea when? And his answers basically have to do with it's futile, futile to, to speculate, and that's where the thief in the night comes up. You know, if you know. When the burglar's coming, you can set the alarm and be awake when he when mm-hmm. at that time. But we don't know, right? And now, as I said earlier, why you have to ask about an analogy? Mm-hmm. In what sense does it apply? Because it doesn't apply in every sense. It's not an allegory. So Jesus comes like a thief in the night, not with intent to steal. <laughs> Not sneakily, mm-hmm. not to surprise, right. but in the sense that on one sense and one sense only, nobody knows when it's going to happen. That's the only right analogy here. Yeah. Well, and it, it, again, read carefully that that verse four with the thief image. Yep. Um, beloved, you are not in darkness for that right. day to surprise you like a thief. Look, I'm telling you, you don't. 
you don't have to be caught, and that's not Jesus' intention, which is, I think, yeah. part of what you're getting at. And, he said, and he's basically saying, and you guys don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. That's it. Don't stay awake waiting because <laughs> yeah. you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. But instead, the how do you be, how, be always ready? Yeah. Well, how do you be always ready? Mm-hmm. And the answer is by being who you are all the time. Um. I'm a big baseball fan. I used to play baseball mm-hmm. up through about seventh, eighth grade, junior high. And uh, one of the things you, the ball's only going to be hit toward one fielder. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know which one. You got to be ready. Yeah. You got to be ready on every pitch. If you watch the game, and it's hard to do this on television because they focus on the pitcher yeah. and the catcher. But if you're at the game, you can look around. Every defensive player has to on every play be prepared as if he is he or she is absolutely certain the ball's coming to them yep otherwise you're caught unaware that's right i think my great baseball coach uh, jerry lacy back in the day i was about the same i was about 14 15 years old and uh he always 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 coached us on every pitch you are thinking if the ball comes to me, what am I going to do? Am if it comes in the air, I'm going to catch it, throw where. If it comes on the ground, I'm going to field it, go where. Always be thinking because you don't have time to wait and react. No. And that's a good and, yeah, that's a good way for us to And that's the think. way we live our life. We don't worry if, hmm? when, you know, wonder if it's coming to me. Act as though it is. Yep. Only believe it's not when it goes somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. You know, that's it. Or, uh, I remember, in the, particularly in the sixth grade, uh, six, yeah, sixth grade, we had a teacher, I will not call her name, who was infamous <laughs> for her, her eruptions. Uh, she, if she got upset with us, she would say, it's not cute, it's not smart, and it's not one bit funny. <laughs> and then she'd slam the door and stomp down the hall to the principal to send him to come and deal with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. We lived we... for getting her to do that. <laughs> Y'all are all laughing and yeah. Yeah. So, but she would frequently leave the room to go do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we leave some student as the class monitor. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't going to work. We had all known each other all our lives. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to tell on each other. But what we did is we put somebody at the door sure. to watch for her. The teacher monitor. <laughs> teacher monitor. Yeah. And we did what we wanted to do. And the person at the door was supposed to say, here she comes. And we'd all be in place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But unfortunately, sometimes we got things so interesting going on that the door teacher monitor <laughs> forgot. Fell asleep at the switch. Yeah. Fell asleep and came back. In. And here came Miss V in the door. It's not cute. It's not smart. It's not one bit funny. Well, this is, this is to me, this sounds familiar. Yeah. The, the person at the door fell asleep, and you didn't know when the person was coming back. Yeah. All of that yeah. is an... The, the analogy there is you got to always got to be ready. And if we had just been about our business, mm-hmm. doing what we were told to do when the teacher left, there would have been no need for anybody to watch right. the door and nothing to worry about. Right. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last little story. I thought about this as I drove in today to come to where I do this show. Uh, Clay Smith ran Hinton Rural Life Center for about 20 years, yes. Methodist minister. And after Clay left Vanderbilt as an MDF student, before he started 
parish ministry, he spent two years in the Peace Corps right. in India in this same village, small village, and uh, did um, drill it, doing wells and agricultural mm-hmm. stuff and things. He was there for two years. And then he came back to the States, and 30 years later, he went back with his grown son to show his son where he had been. He said they got off the train, and it was a couple of miles walk mm-hmm. from the train depot mm-hmm. to where the village was. And he was walking into the village. A man was working in his field, stood up, looked over, and said, Oh, Smith, you're back then, are you? <laughs> and continued working. Yeah. He said that evening we spent time, you know, uh, at his at this man's house yeah. with having a meal and greeting. <laughs> he said, "But oh, Smith, you're back, you're back then, are you?" <laughs> and I've thought about that often. Yeah. The Christian's response to the second coming would be to look up from what we're doing and say, "Oh, Jesus, you're back then, are you?" Huh? Been uh, been doing these things you said. Oh, uh, yeah, here we are. What about my business? Is it time to go? Okay. All right. So that moves us to Matthew 25, this parable, the second parable of, and the second of three right. things about the second coming, two are parables and yeah. others a vision. That's it. And just to remind everybody, you pointed out helpfully last week, um, this one, two, three, these, these last three Sundays here uh, prior to Advent, uh, we, we have this sort of a, a apocryphal, apocalyptic, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, three Sundays in a row, uh, which fits the idea we've kicked around before of entering a little Lent, actually, in connection with this Advent right. season. And so right. uh, this is uh, some... It's a lead-in to yeah, a little Lent. that's it. It is. Yeah. Well, one, one kind of, almost an aside, but an interesting thing is that, the, with the word talent, we, we have a slide here sometimes. We slide into, well, it's not really about money. <laughs> it's about our abilities. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things, if you do word study, is to find out, of course, that a talent mm-hmm. is 15 years of a, a, a financial term sure. in in the original Greek. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a term for like 15 years of day labor or something along those lines. A lot of money. It's a right smart amount. Yeah. Right smart amount. Mm-hmm. And But what's interesting is it went from Greek to Latin, possibly to French, into English. And where it became shifted to being like we think of talent scouts, talent of singing, talent of dancing, what is your talent, was based on this story. Mm-hmm. That's the etymo- That's where the word came from. They, from this story, it evolved in English to that kind of description of right, "Don't bury right. your talent." Don't. So that's an interesting thing. But in this context, it's not about that. <laughs> that's the the important thing. It's not about about these people's various abilities. Right. It's about the money <laughs> this person gave them. Yeah. And what do you what? this person expected them to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, it's not an allegory. Jesus is not the master. Otherwise, you know, so how you're thinking, how is Jesus a greedy, money-grubbing, cruel capitalist? Yeah. yeah. Nor is this an investment strategy mm-hmm. description. This is not something that you should pull out to use in talking about how do we invest the church's money? Yeah. 
This is not what this is about. So how, what is it trying to get at with this story? And what is the, why is the kingdom of heaven like this story? That's the question right. you ask yourself, because it starts with it's like this. Well, I, I think the context in the early church, as Matthew was writing this and reflecting back on something he had heard from Jesus, I think part of the context is that Jesus left and Jesus is not back yet. Right. And so Christ left us with talents. That is a valuable treasure. What is that valuable treasure? It's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what do we do with the gospel while we are waiting? Well, it's a dangerous world they're living in, in the post-Jesus era. And it might be the safest thing to do is stay, keep the gospel among ourselves. Mm, yeah. You know, keep, take care of it. Make sure it's pure. Make sure it's care. But don't risk it by taking it out into the world. Ooh, yeah. And this story, I think, re, is a, while we're waiting for Jesus' return, we should take that which Jesus left us, the good news, the gospel, and spread it. That is what's consistent with everything else that Jesus said about it. Right. Sowing the seed, being indiscriminate with it, telling it, uh, you know, mm -hmm. going to all the world, making disciples. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on it yeah. and protect it and keep it amongst yourselves. I remember... John, remember in the 90s in uh, Nashville, I, my congregation, uh, Holy Trinity, was out there on West End, yeah. and it was founded in 1945. So 1995 was our 50th anniversary. So I had a banner made, out, put out on West End Avenue. Okay. And, you know, it said, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, celebrating Christ, serving Christ and community for 50 years. Right. And a few Sundays after this, this 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 woman, <laughs> I really loved this woman, and she but she came out. She had been a member of that church her whole life, yeah. and she said, "I don't like that sign in the yard." <laughs> I said, "Well, why not?" She says, "Why can't we just keep our little church to ourselves?" Oh, ain't that much about the community? <laughs> I said, "Because if a if we do, there won't be much left." Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, sure. this is the attitude of the third person. Let's keep it for ourselves. Let's protect it. And the encouragement in this is to say, no, to follow the gospel is to take risk, yeah. to risk losing it, because that's the only way the gospel exists. Right. To, 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 do the, to take up a cross and follow Jesus, just the very words. Having the gospel is risk. Yeah. You risk compassion. You risk openness. You risk uh, tr uh, transparency about who you are and what you're about. You risk mm -hmm. doing things for people who may not deserve it. Yep. You risk of alienating the powers that be at on times on standing with the poor and the helpless and the humble. You risk, and if you're not willing to risk, you're not exercising the gospel. And in the analogy here, it'll be taken away from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what you have had, it, the only way for it to 
flourish is taking risk. There's a very personal story involved here, and I'm going to protect some people by the way I tell it. Mm -hmm. But there was a situation when I was a young pastor and my wife was a young social worker that she called me up and basically invited us to have someone in our home for a while that would was not a savory character. Right. And I basically said, or at least the general public in the small town where we were serving would not have thought this was an appropriate person to live in the parsonage. Mm -hmm. And I said, honey, baby, <laughs> are you aware of how, what a risk it is to have a person like that living in our parsonage in a town like this? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, honey, you're always preaching that to love is to risk. <laughs> and I said, with a curse, that, blah, blah, that's preaching. That's a, this is real life. <laughs> that's just a sermon. This is real. Yeah. No, she I has never you. let me forget that line. I get you. And she said, are you, she said once, uh, she says occasionally, are you just preaching or did you mean yeah. that? I said, and I, you, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree, and, and I think we learn this deeper as we go, but loving other people, even, quote, good people, but especially yep. loving others who are truly other from us, it's a dangerous and risky thing. And we sing, and we preach, and we pray about, Lord, help us love our community. But in our hearts, if we're not careful, we're a lot more like your member well, I don't really want to be out there amongst them, and I don't really want them coming in here and, and messing things yep. up. And as I've been trying to get my head around trying to understand this Jesus we see telling this story, I come back to uh, Jesus a few chapters earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, that's where yep. your heart will be. And we got a fellow here that's just covering up and hiding and, and locking up his heart because he's yep. buried the treasure. He's buried that which was most valuable. And rather than investing it in community, in outreach, in the gospel, as you're saying. So I think it's a powerful way to look at this. And and so to circle back to the question I asked at the beginning, um, you know, about these three complementary texts for this and four with the psalm. Where, how do we find the flip side of the judgment coin is that it is a way of saying, you've got to not sit on your dregs. <laughs> you can't sit on, well, God's yeah. not going to do something bad and not going to do something good, and neither should we. You can't, you can't sit around staring out the door wondering if Jesus is going to come back and catch you doing something you shouldn't. Uh, you can't. Just take what you have. We as the church and as individuals have been given the wonderful gift yeah. of the gospel, and just hoard it to ourselves. But rather, uh, we we risk losing it. Yeah. Is the only way to live with it. That's the positive side, and there is always the grace note ends everything in the gospels in the scriptures. God hope wins out over despair grace wins out over judgment and love wins out over hate every time always all the time i have to tell you real fast as you were setting this up for us and sometimes we're tempted to say well it's yum 
or we've tried to make this, oh, this is not about the amount of money. This is not about, no. you know, it's about this, that, and the other. And a fellow at Brook Hollow Baptist Church, you'd probably know him if you saw him, not if I called his yeah. name, but on my finance committee, and I was going to, I guess I was kind of tiptoeing around the stewardship emphasis, or either I was uh, trying to get at kind of the heart of the matter and uh, so I preached a stewardship sermon one time called it's not about the money you know doing my best to reach deeper etc cetera, etc cetera. and so we did that and the next month's finance committee meeting came time to evaluate the offerings and uh, brother David said well pastor I'm looking here at these offerings he said I'm thinking maybe you want to preach another sermon and call it it is about the money <laughs> Well, Kevin said that. <laughs> I am. Pa- I don't preach much on a Sunday these days because yeah. uh, I'm not in that position. I do occasionally, and I have agreed some time ago, six months ago, to go to a congregation, a Lutheran congregation, in uh, in the middle part of North Carolina, and preach for their stewardship Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. even look at the text the day they told me the date and when I should come. And so I looked at this and I said, how am I going to say it's not about the money, but it is. Fill out those pledges and turn them in today. Yeah. 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 I'll find my way through that. There you so. go. There you go. All right. All right, man. Let's kick back up a little bit. Let's go to judges for a minute or two. Uh, as we said, the conclu- conclusion of the semi-continuous readings uh, It's after Joshua and before Saul and the kingships. And the theme is set kind of with uh, verse 1, what was evil? They were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And another mm-hmm. place it says, you know, everybody did what they felt like doing. Uh, the judges were kind of religious, spiritual political, military leaders. I think it's kind of modeled on the way in which Moses and the elders led Mm -hmm. through the Exodus. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got verses 4 and 5. Deborah was judging Israel at this time, and she sat under this particular tree, and people came to her for, for judgment. And during this time, there was this basic cycle throughout this era that's consistent with the overall cycle mm-hmm. in in Jew- Israeli history. Israel sins. Uh, God punishes. Israel calls for help. Yep. Uh, God sends a deliverer. Then Israel has peace. And then the cycle repeats. Correct. Consistently over and over. And, and today, uh, four and five are pretty parallel about Deborah and Barak, uh, chapter 4 is is pretty much uh, prose. And, of course, chapter 5 is the, uh, song. the song of Deborah. It's uh, poetic. Uh, and the question comes, and you're going to help us with this, mm-hmm. is how does one apply this at this time? Um, I was thinking in terms of whether it's individual, the congregation, the nation, or the world, we all have cycles of <laughs> peace, of chaos, Failure, sin, whatever, war, yeah. and then peace. Now, the question is, how do you interpret those? Is it, you know, there's the crap happens, uh, everywhere from crap happens to other people are bad, or I make mistakes, or you can get into the, the way the scripture interprets them has to do with God's interaction with us. Yeah. And um, how do, where do we find that? How do we learn something, you know, yeah. do we look at our history and do we repeat 
constantly or do we learn something? The other thing I saw in this text, I'm going to let, I'm let you mm-hmm. roll, yeah. is uh, an affirmation from the very beginning of women in leadership. Not mm-hmm. only um, yeah. not only Deborah, but also her cohort mm-hmm. in solving this problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we, we have underplayed the important role. Uh, I think we need to, as a couple of old white males, we can speak for our, our, <laughs> our group. Yeah. We have underplayed the importance of women in leadership right. in the com- religious communities of Israel and the early church. Yeah. Uh, and it, it has been sinful kind of, of ignoring it yeah. for many, many years. And this is an opportunity to not ignore it and to affirm it. Indeed. Well, I, uh, what has happened to me, and I want to acknowledge that I preach in a uh, a liturgical tradition that is also kind of in the midst of free church tradition. I'm in the United Church of Christ right now, and so I follow the lectionary pretty much all year long and will occasionally step out of it for a special series. When I came to Judges 4, I thought, well, number one, we've only got a snippet here of this fantastic story in chapter 4. And we don't get to, you know, we get the word from God that Sisera is going to be drawn out and, you know, send the general Barak to him and God's going to bring a great victory. But if you just kind of cut it off there, you don't have a chance to really revel in what's going on. And the more I thought about doing that, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to do the whole chapter. And so the more I thought about doing that, the more I realized that not only are chapters 4 and 5 paired together, chapter 3 is also uh, very important and very similar. And you go back to the judge named Ehud, who's not very famous, and his uh, adventure with King Eglon, one of the oppressors. And uh, Eglon, the text says, was very fat, extremely fat. And Ehud is the judge that sticks the knife in cuts him open and the knife he can't get it back out and uh anyhow and i i just had to say where where was he sitting when this happened <laughs> he was in the comfort room as it were <laughs> uh and, and so it is a oh you if you want a text filled with irony filled with a satire filled with sarcasm and filled with just the everyday foibles of human beings and yet God somehow manages to just, work in the midst that story is very popular with uh <laughs> junior high boys absolutely. bible study absolutely <laughs> well so what I've done is, and I've warned my people, I said, we're going to take a two-week look at this little section of Judges, and we're going to lay some stuff out week one, and we'll get some more week two, but I'm starting from the premise that we believe that God answers prayers. We believe that God pays attention to uh, the plight of God's people, but sometimes that happens in ways that make very little sense to us. Um and I also am, am setting this little mini-series with the fact that you can never safely assume that what worked in a culture that's very long ago, very far away from us, yes. um, will translate directly over to us. And, you know, the violence in both of these texts, um, I realize we can say, those are, oh, those are terrible. Listen, here's, here's how I'm setting it up. 
When you read in chapter 3 and you see the names of Israel, Ammon, Moab, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, so on and so forth. In that time, all of these cultures considered that at any point, if your enemy's life was laid open before you, if you had the opportunity, their life was yours to claim. Their life was, was, was forfeit, and it was perfectly acceptable to go ahead and take it to get a leg up. It's one of the reasons Jesus, much later, instruction to us to love your enemies was truly so shocking and countercultural. It gives us a lot of insight into what happens in the world still today. Um, if you're trying to figure out why, from the perspective of Hamas, it was fine to go in and kill a thousand people when they were dancing and having a good time, it's just because there's a cultural mindset like that. And uh, let me be fair, same thing, Israel's right to retaliate. There's a, you know, it's part of us. It's part of who we are. But yeah. I read an article by commentator Robert uh, Deffenbaugh, a uh, pretty conservative commentator, but I loved this comment on these texts. Deffenbaugh warned us of the danger of a pious bias yes. whenever we read scripture stories like this. These texts are grounded in the real nitty-gritty of everyday life in those times. And we've just got to kind of get past the, oh, we th- this must not mean anything for us because it's so violent. No, no, let's wait. You've already talked, Elmer, about the long cycle of Scripture, not only in Judges, but from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, this starts in the garden, right? There's the blessing yeah. of God. There's rebellion. There's um, falling away from God. There's cursing. And then there's crying out. Um, and and <coughs> I'm teaching the book of Revelation, and we, <laughs> we, we're still seeing this cycle played out and the people turning away from God. I don't think we ever learn. Your question, are, are we going to learn from this, and are we going to stay close to God? No, we're not. We're not. We never learn. Yeah, and yet, for some reason, God never gives up. Again right. and again, God acts to redeem and rescue and deliver. It's just all the way through, God raises up Noah, Abram, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, these judges, and that's what sets us up when God raises up Jesus to be our Savior, our Deliverer, which is what these judges were, raised up by God to save the people out of these situations. And we know some of them and others we don't. So, I don't know that any of that is useful to you all. I I don't think, I'd be hard-pressed to just read verses 1 through 7 of Judges chapter 4 and not at least mention what happens with Deborah Jael, her, uh, you know, her other female co-conspirator, and how it is that Sisera is delivered into their hands. It is an act of violence, but it's by a woman, a, a non-Jewish woman, a, a, a Bedouin woman living on the outskirts of uh, the Jewish uh, land at this point. And uh, her husband kind of tries to play both sides against the middle. He says he's a smith. He's a metal worker. He's likely to have been an arms dealer 
and he's trying to sell, you know, to both sides. So as Sisera comes in running from the troops, he thinks it's a safe place. And here is this woman, Jael, um, greatly overlooked by pretty much everybody in the culture. And the most delicious piece of irony in that whole point is it was her job whenever her husband came in and said, pack it up, we've got to move. And, you know, the, the herds were moving, these, uh, uh, you know, wandering tribes were time to move. She'd have to pack everything up, including taking the tent down. And when they got to the next spot, putting it back up. That was woman's work. And so when you get to the part of the story where Sisera falls asleep and she took a hammer and a tent peg, she knew what she was doing. She was, in a sense, well prepared for that moment. And we don't get any hint in here of with Jael, with uh, Ehud sticking the knife into Eglon that God, quote, moved them to do those things. It is not God acting uh, necessarily and saying, go jab him and make his guts come out. Drive a tent peg right through his temple. No. But what we do see is once again, God moving in the midst of our mess, I call it sometimes, moving in the midst of our decisions. The end of each story is, and the people had peace for 40 years, for 80 years, for whatever one of the one of the difficulties we have as reader and and i think is it defenbach defenbach uh, defenbach yeah one of the well has he identified it the way i I talk about it is we forget the difference between a a a a model Mm -hmm. or an ideal Mm -hmm. of faith that we should imitate and, a, right. and someone in a story Correct. about God, mm-hmm. and I'm not. When I say a story, I don't mean it. In, right. Like my mama didn't like to say the word lie, so she said, "Are you telling me a story?" Correct. And I got confused. I thought storytelling was a good thing, <laughs> but <she laughs> and it is a story. A story was a lie, yeah. you know, making yeah. something up. But yeah. these are these. And so when we read the scriptures, it's important to remember that very few people were we encouraged to imitate. No, you know. The imitation of Christ. Occasionally, Paul mm-hmm. said, "Do imitate me." But otherwise, we are to observe and watch and under and learn, mm-hmm. and and not necessarily to see. Oh, these are holy people, so we do what they did. Right. That's not. That's the point. not the point here. This is not to yeah. read this and say, "Okay, so you mentioned his favorite story of junior high boys." It's not yeah. to say, "All right, so y'all go out and be like Ehud, find somebody <laughs> you right. don't stab them in the back, stab them in the gut." No, that's stab them in the gut, and, yeah. and it's when not when they're in the, when they're when they're not in a position to defend themselves. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, the, uh, these stories, can, can again, cannot be brought directly into our culture. Uh, they are not told as a, a direct example, but that doesn't mean we can't read them, consider them, and say, where is God at work in this? Yeah. And again, you have to put it in terms of that whole long cycle. The people cried out for help, and uh, God doesn't give up. 
at, at a minimum, you can look through the the larger picture and say the help generally comes from a surprising Surprising. Place. Surprising people. Place we would have least expected mm-hmm. it to come from. That's it. That's it. Ehud is nothing but, um, they just sent him on an errand because they were paying tribute to this king. Yeah. And so uh, Ehud comes and he says, here's, here's the... Here's the goods, and the king says, that's great. Put them down over there, and the other boys take off, and Ehud lingers for a minute and says, well, okay, I guess that's that. Actually leaves, and as he's going out, he sees these idols that the Moabites have set up right in the place where Joshua had set up the stones of remembrance when the uh, uh, children of Israel entered the promised land. When they cross the Jordan and set foot and they bring these stones, well, now they've turned them into idols. And it just does something to him. He turns around, goes back, and that's when he decides it's going to be time. I, I'm going to take care of this fat king while I'm here. So, uh, I mean, that that you can dig deep, deep, deep. I don't think you can make this story about God inspiring him to go on this journey yeah. and slay the king. But in the midst of every day, he made his decisions, and he did what he did. And somehow, surprisingly, maybe you want to say disgustingly, I don't know. Yeah. But somehow, the people were freed, and, and peace reigned. So. Well, and, and and it's possible we could look at that and say, what have we put in the place of God? Hmm. Yeah. You know, there are all kinds Why of Why are questions, we here in the first place? Yeah. Questions that get raised by these stories that aren't stories of we imitate the behavior of anybody hmm. in them, but they raise hmm. issues and questions for us to apply to our own lives in our own time. I think that's what we are pretty much called to do, pastors. It's not always about wrapping it up at the end of the sermon, putting it in a nice package, tying it up with a bow and saying, here you go, here's what you're supposed to know. As one of my members accused me once at a church years ago, he said, Pastor, you raise an awful lot of questions for us, but you don't ever tell us the answer. (laughs) I said, that's because it's your question to answer. Uh, yeah. yeah, good stuff, Bubba. Thanks for letting me right. ramble a little bit. Oh, that's fine. That's good. We, good uh, stuff. Yeah, but- we will uh, be back next time as we uh, just move right on through. Gosh, is it, it's going to be Christ the King next time? We CTK come? next time. Ooh, around. the yes, reign so of Christ. Indeed. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to it. Not much else for us to do today, though. I uh, don't reckon, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. Today we go out by listening to Shirat Devorah, the song of Deborah. It's sung in Hebrew, and it is recorded in Judges chapter 5. We're going to place a link on the website if you'd like to catch the YouTube channel and see the text in Hebrew and in English translation.